This is Cinema Degeneration. Quest. Yeah, what if we don't want to play? Any other questions? Yes. Where can I get this CD? Alrighty, folks, welcome once again to Cinema Degeneration and our Albert Pune Appreciation Month. We have a, not an oddity, but we have one of his underappreciated you know, films today. We're going to be talking the 1997 straight-to-video actioner Mean Guns. And joining me this afternoon is my good buddy Lee Russell from the Last Call at Torchies Gang. How are we doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is the first time we've done a solo show together, so yeah. um, I'm excited to kind of do a one-on-one here. But uh, Lee and I, you know, we we go back a little ways with uh, the last Call of Torchies uh, show, but you also do a show called They Must Be Destroyed on Sight, or I'm sorry, <clears throat> sorry, it's more or less, They Must Be Destroyed on Sight! <laughs> Got to give us his proper due there. Yeah. I should have I should have popped up my uh, soundboard and uh, played the clip, but <laughs> um, I can find I can find the clip somewhere and steal it. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, that's fine, uh, but yeah, yeah, uh, do a little uh, movie review show. Been doing it since 2014, and we kind of cover a little bit of everything. Although we kind of slant towards like obscure and cult and and just older stuff that maybe people haven't watched. Although you know we do have our share of like big well-known movies and stuff we cover every once in a little while too but um yeah we do a little bit of everything uh, for the most part yeah yeah uh, that, that's what i like about the show and it's just like with gary's shows as well as like the, you know there's underappreciated gems and not so much gems but just like mm-hmm. little scene movies that just like uh my a good close friend of mine aaron always says he's like what are you gonna do a movie that came out like within the last year i'm like <laughs> i'm not not really anytime soon not not anytime soon I'm not, i don't think so but you know yeah, maybe maybe someday it, it's it's rare with us to do that like every once in a while one of one of my co-hosts will have an idea like oh you know i really want to talk about glass onions so we'll do it or something like that but you know for the most part we we tend to stick to you know a few decades in the past or right to the beginning of cinema which we did for a while we were going through the silent era and we're we we're kind of trying to traverse the decades and before my uh, regular co-host Daniel had to sort of take a hiatus uh, and just be a part-time co-host, we we got into uh, like the 1930s or something like that. So we just got into the talkies basically, and uh, but yeah, we 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 do a lot of stuff. Yeah, it was funny. the The first feature film I worked on that I did, Postmortem America, uh, we had an old guy show up outside the theater. We were shooting and doing shoot inside a movie theater and they're like oh you're shooting a movie and you have like 15 20 people dressed up as zombies and he's <laughs> like is this a talkie and this guy's <laughs> about 80 90 years old at the time and i'm like hey, yeah 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 it's uh he's like oh it's one of them they're moving pictures i'm like uh, <laughs> god are you from a are you a time traveler sir <laughs> <laughs> but anyway we're we're getting off subject here <laughs> but mm. that's okay it's our show we can do whatever the hell we want yeah 
but we're going to be talking a little bit of Albert Pune. And uh, I got to ask first, and, uh, before we get into talking a little bit of Mean Guns, are you, how familiar are you with uh, Albert's work? Um, I'm a lot more familiar now in the last uh, little while, uh, especially since he just passed on. Um, I, I did know some of the big ones. Like I, I knew Cyborg. I knew um, Sword and the Sorcerer. Not a good one, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, uh, Radioactive Dreams I did on my show way back when. Did Cyborg fairly recently on my show. And I've done Radioactive Dreams on another show. And, um, yeah, kind of, you know, I, I've kind of known, like, his output from, like, the 80s into the 90s. I kind of knew what he was doing. Uh, didn't really check out a lot of his stuff in the last 20 years or so because frankly a lot of it isn't all that good and yeah some of it varies in quality quite a bit it ebbs and flows quite a bit but i've always liked albert pune because he's kind of i kind of think of him as as one of us in a in a a general sense as like a, a a film nerd uh, a film fan who actually made good and, and managed to make it in Hollywood in on his own terms, really, too, because and, and not only because he was like, I'm not saying necessarily some sort of maverick filmmaker or anything, but he kind of made it on his own terms because he had to. Uh, yeah, because yeah. because he rarely ever had like a budget given to him to make like a prof- big professional film or anything like that. Like he he fought and struggled basically for every film he got to make Uh, and you know some of them weren't all that great but i mean he made more films than i've ever made in my life uh so 56 total that's a hell of a career you know to have Mm -hmm. and and i also i also happen to think he's actually a pretty underrated stylist uh who had a unique vision for cinema um one one of those guys he kind of reminds me of fulci in a way where he's not really all that he doesn't really care about characters and story (laughs) all that much. Like he, he's a very visual director. And, uh, I always sort of connected with that. Even, even when some of his films were a little less than great, uh, I I always kind of appreciated what he brought to the table. So. Yeah. He always at least made things interesting. I'll say, well, some of his films, you know, like, I don't think there's any director that I can say that I love every film they've made, you know. Mm. But that being said, you know, his movies were never boring. You right. Know, and they, they were always interesting and very fast-paced, uh, much like this movie. You know, yeah. Although it is a bit long, I think at an hour and 50 minutes, it could have had about 10 minutes shaved off of it at least. But, like, yeah. I'm, I'm still – I'm not mad at it. Honestly, when we get – as we get into the review, like, honestly, that's my only really big complaint about this film is that it is way too long. Like, it, I, I think maybe, you know, you could have cut some characters out of this, Albert. You could have cut a little bit of the backstory out, and you could have streamlined this even more than you did. So, uh, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. But this, uh, yeah, this movie is got quite the eclectic cast. It's got, um, mm. I'm going to say, my homeboy, Tom Matthews. I've met him several times. I love him as Tommy Jarvis and mm. uh, in Return of the Living Dead, and he he's great. Uh Crow is his name, uh, and Yuki Akamoto plays Haas, and those two characters are by far my favorite. They're they should have like, had their own movie, really. Yeah, I would have been all for a prequel to like about those guys. Yeah, yeah. But this also has, I mean, it stars Christopher Lambert as Lou. Ice T is Vincent Moon. Yeah. Did, did you did you read how long Christopher Lambert was on this shoot for? 
Yeah, it was supposed to be three days, but they only shot for two. I can't believe that they got what they 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 were able to get in yeah. two days. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll talk about that more when we get into the review. <laughs> but uh, I was very surprised to read that. I was like, "What? Okay, <laughs> like that was something else." I mean, he's not in, in it a lot. Like in the first like half hour, they kind of sprinkle him, but like that last mm. hour, hour and twenty minutes, he's in it pretty heavy, and it's a yeah. lot of action oriented stuff with a lot of setups and a lot of shots. So it's. Uh, mm-hmm. That's crazy. But I uh, just got to, you know, Christopher Lambert would make a couple movies without European. So at Ice-T, uh, who plays Vincent Moon, Michael Halsey is also, you know, then in several of Pune's movies as Marcus. Mm. And Deborah Van Valkenburg is, uh, with my namesake, is Cam. Yeah. And uh, I love her. I love her. And I love the, well, we'll get into the movie in, in a little bit, but I love her intro at the beginning. with It takes place in the subway, which is mm-hmm. kind of. A little bit reminiscent of the the Warriors for about a hot second. It was just like, ah, yes. I see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me go ahead and do the quick IMDb synopsis, and uh, we'll get off into the, you know, delving into this sucker. All right, Mean Guns 1997 is as follows. 100 people who have betrayed the syndicate are gathered into prison opening the next day. They are given weapons and six hours to kill each other. The three remaining share $10 million. And that's really about the gist of it. That's mm-hmm. uh, about all there there is to it. It's this carnage. This movie should be called Mean Carnage instead of Mean Guns. It's <laughs> just like kinetic action throughout the whole fucking thing. And yeah. the writer, Andrew Witham, I think this was the only project he did. He has another project listed on IMDb that has never been released as of 2002, Gentlemen of the Hunt. Yeah. Uh, and- I have no idea what that is. It sounds like a sequel or a prequel to this. It fe- it feels like it's almost when I I, I didn't go deep into it, but it, it looked like um, maybe this is like the short film version of Mean Guns that never got released or something like that because it only lists like three cast members or something and <laughs> right. So I was like I I don't know, but um, and I, I was I was kind of I was expecting to you know open up his filmography and see oh he went on to write Smoking Aces or something like that because <laughs> very <laughs> reminiscent. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. But um, <laughs> I got to talk a little bit about Ice-T in this movie mm-hmm. with, his, with his platinum grill. Oh, yeah. Like, he does everything but use that grill to chew up the scenery that he does because he's chewing everything up as Vincent oh, yeah. Moon, like every turn, every bit. And I love the opening when he's in the, in the prison. And we got a cameo by Ho Cowell, mm-hmm. who's like a character actor that's been in like I don't know how many films I, I, I should have done my due diligence and look, but I'm sure he's been in a hundred, 150 films, give or take. Yeah. And he, this was one of his last films. I, I did look that up. He had only had about a, about a half dozen films after this in his uh, filmography. So this was uh, one of the last movies he did, but I, I remember him mostly uh, from vice girls. Which is the yeah. movie you may or may not have heard of. Him by yeah. Vice I know. Girls. I know vice girls. But that, Cyberzone, and uh, Teenage Exorcist, which is a guilty pleasure mm-hmm. of mine. Yeah, that. Teenage Exorcist <laughs> is the one, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but uh, I, lo- I love it, like, for no reason whatsoever, do you, you know, uh, Vincent Moon, Nice T's character, just blows him away. He's just like, hey, Commissioner, you know, what are you doing here? He's like, well, you know, syndicate this, syndicate mm-hmm. that. And he just blows him away. <laughs> like, what yeah. the fuck? There, there are, there are some like as much as this is very 
slight in a lot of ways and very straightforward. There are some little hidden plot points here and there that we learn about the characters, basically, as it goes on. So it's like there is a little bit of like um, confusion at parts in this movie. And it's like a little bit of uh, misdirection uh, done by the film uh, up until the end, because I mean you know spoilers here christopher lambert is not the hero of this film even though he's the star quote unquote uh right no he is not a hero whatsoever mm-hmm. there's really no good guys in this movie i mean the closest to a good guy would be maybe marcus he's at mm. least the at least the the most endearing character he seems yeah. to have a, a code of ethics that he follows where everybody else is just an, an outlaw straight out and out and I just like Marcus because he looks like Mick Jagger's stunt double or something. Like he's... <laughs> and he's got the cool voice. His mm-hmm. voice is just super cool. Like that guy should have been like narrating this, you know, movies like this. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess I guess Cam is probably the most close to a good person in this film compared to everybody else. Because she's kind of just an innocent victim who's pulled into this thing, really. Like, like she's she's pulled into this. Uh, because she has some uh, damning evidence on Ice T for for some crimes he committed. Although when we get to the end of the film, it doesn't really make sense why he'd pull her in here. Because um, we we discover later that Ice T kind of has a death wish. He kind of is here to die as well. Right, so, right. Yeah. That was the weirdest part about this movie. At the end, I mean, I've seen this probably a dozen times at least, and and you know, it never ceases to amaze me. Like, oh, yeah, he's here to just uh, offer himself up with everybody else to the syndicate with the other hundred goons, just like everybody else. Yeah, that's why it's a surprise to Hokal, right? Because he's like, what what are you doing here? Like, he obviously knows that the syndicate paid for the prison. And but it's like Ice T's doing this basically because the syndicate told him that we're wiping or he heard somewhere down the grapevine that we're wiping you all out. So he set this up uh, just to get it done and over with, I guess. Yeah, he's just like, yeah, let's make it interesting. It'll be like pay-per-view t- TV, he says. Yeah, like it, it, it's it's a bonkers concept on its face it, that honestly makes very little sense, but it's fun in the context of the movie because it's like, hey, it sets up this high-concept kind of thing that's this like post-Tarantino, post-Guy Ritchie uh, mix-up, and, you know, it's very much like... Um, it's very comic booky. It's very much like Smoking Aces, uh, Shoot 'Em Up, Lucky Number Slevin, like that sort of yeah. branch of the post Tarantino stuff. And uh, I don't know if we, we had already said this, at the, or if this was us there. This was a first time viewing for you, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I was like, this is this is something I saw on the rental racks in the late nineties. Um, I saw it all over the place and I was, I just never picked it up because I just figured, okay, it's just a cheapy late nineties action movie, direct to video kind of thing that I, I don't really need to see. And at that point I, I knew Albert Pune, but I had no idea Albert Pune had directed this. Like, cause for me in like late nineties, Albert Pune was their radioactive dreams guy. He was the sword and sorcerer guy. He was a cyborg guy. I didn't know. Honestly, I didn't even know if he was still making movies at that point. Um, so this was just like, Oh, Christopher Lambert and a direct video movie of ice T. I could probably skip it. You know, even though like I really dug ice T at that point where it's just like, uh, you know, his, his, uh, his band body count was out and I, I had all those albums. Oh, so did I. 
Yeah, and also like surviving the game is a fucking stone classic. But at the same time, it's just like, eh, I can skip it. I'm gonna just go rent the Big Lebowski again or something, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I think I ended up picking this up when I first saw it. It was literally like a two dollar buy at a blockbuster sale, and I was oh, saying yeah. it was one of the best two dollars I ever spent. No, that is a good uh, buy because, like, I'm I'm saying like this is very much like smoking aces, shoot 'em up, stuff like that, like. It's maybe the lower budget version of those sort of films, but in a lot of ways, very much as enjoyable and and good as those films that came later that kind of like, I, I feel like, owe a little bit of a debt to this film because it, it took that post Tarantino Guy Ritchie thing to a, a more simplistic comic book kind of direction. And those films sort of came in its wake like years later. Um and I, I feel like uh, this is kind of overlooked. Like it, it, it yeah. if, you know, and I think a lot of people just on hand kind of dismiss Albert Pune's later career and to a certain extent, rightly so. But this is one of the ones where it's like, wow, he's he's got a budget. You know, it's, it's a two million dollar budget or something like that. And uh, I guess Lambert got like half of it <laughs> for his two yeah, days for, for, for his two days. Yeah, like. Makes me wonder what is Ice cheat Tea charge? You know? <laughs> yeah, I I don't know, man. And but I mean, this is this is fucking Pune getting to do like a big budget for him film in two thirty five, anamorphic. Like I I think he only maybe did a, one other film or something in that ratio. That uh, ratio, like usually his stuff was not this widescreen and looking this good. Right. Um, but yeah, this I is think what... the other one was postmortem with Charlie Sheen that I read. Okay, which uh, is not a not a great film, not one of my favorites. But um, like Pune did, uh, he shot two films here in the in the location he uses the Twin Towers Correctional Facility in Los Angeles. I think it is. Yes. Yeah, and like from what I understand, like the the prison cost like four hundred million dollars and was like just derelict. Like there was nobody in it. When they when they went to shoot here, they they, they shot uh, they shot the Die Hard ripoff Blast, which I have not seen, but it's got uh, what Michael Dudikoff in it, I think. Or oh, I've seen that one, but I can't remember who the fuck is in it. To be oh quite uh, no, uh, Rutger Howard's in it, I think. Yeah, Rutger Howard and Andrew Dibov. That's it. Yeah, yeah I, I get Dibov, I get him yeah. mixed up with Dudikoff all the time, but um, but yeah, they shot that first in here, and then they shot this, and like I guess they only paid a couple thousand dollars to use it. So it's like, yeah, using it. Yeah, yeah, like use it. It's got amazing production value without having to do anything to it. Yes. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's excellent. I, 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 I was very pleasantly surprised at this film, man. I was, wow. Okay. I, I was expecting something totally different than what I got. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I didn't know this was the first time watch for you. So right mm. on. We just, like I said, I just uh, recorded a uh, cyborg yesterday with my buddy Tom Commissar, and that was a first-time watch for him, too, so I'm glad to uh, get a couple people, you know, into some more Pune stuff. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, this one, you just said, you know, you, you likened it to, like, Lucky Number Slevin or uh, Smoking Aces, and I think that's a, a good uh, way to describe it, because mm-hmm. it's unique. It, it's, it's uniquely shot. It's very comic bookish. The the use, unique choice of using Perez Prada and, mm-hmm. and the Mambo music is certainly different, and, yeah, and it gives it a certain energy, and it's like Christopher Lambert says, it makes you want to dance. 
Yeah. I, I love that the, the conceit here is that Ice T has, you know, he's got the, he's got control of the uh, comm uh, system in the, in the prison. So he's just playing his mambo records. <laughs> it's just like, it, it, like, you know, th- this is going to be the soundtrack to my death. I'm just going to play my favorite mambo records as everyone's. So, like, in a way, technically, I, I guess the music might be kind of diegetic into fi- in the film. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, everyone's, everyone's killing everybody else in this fucking prison and these crazy fucking shootouts and stuff. And there's ice T's mambo collection playing over the, <laughs> the back over top. It's like, okay, that there's a brilliant little kind of insanity in that. That's kind of funny. I like it. I like, and it's very kind of meta at one point when he says, uh, you know, when he gets everybody there and he's got mm-hmm. the whole, all the hundred goons and he's like, you know, and he's laying down the, uh, you know, who's the best killer here, mm-hmm. you know, and his all I see speeches here is just like great machismo, you know, yeah. but he's like, uh, <laughs> and Christopher Lambert, you know, well, the two other guys ask a question, they get shot for their troubles. But, mm-hmm. but when Lambert is Lou asking, he's like, Hey, where can I get this CD? And yeah. He's like you like Prada. And he's like, yeah, it makes you want to dance. It's just, it's very, <laughs> it's, it's very fun banter. Like I said, yeah. there's not a lot of, it's a whole, not a lot of brains in this movie, but a lot of brawn. I guess is the yeah, yeah. Way like, like it, it, it definitely borrows from Tarantino and, and Guy Ritchie in a way, but it's like, I, I will say this, like you know, the dialogue is fun, but it, it's not anywhere. Like it doesn't touch Guy Ritchie or Tarantino necessarily. It's it's the no, it's the Wish dot com version of that. But it, <laughs> yeah, but it, 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 it. yeah, but it's still good. It's still fun because I mean, I just like Lambert like smirking through this entire movie, and like he's got a reason to be smirking because he he worked two days for a million dollars. So it's like <laughs> right. So it's like no no shit. He's having fun, and he gets to look like a fucking badass in this film. Yeah, he's like, got that the spiked uh, you know blonde hair and the, the, mm-hmm. the cool black trench coat, looking very uh, matrixy. Yeah, that's true. Uh, everybody in this is basically wearing black and, and looking like cool as fuck. Uh, like I, I love how Lambert gets that one moment where he's in a tight hallway and he, he shoots a guy and like basically steps up on his chest as he's shooting at him, you know, like, and yeah, walks like over he him. runs up his body. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like really, it's kind of weird, a weird aesthetic, but I, I, I enjoy it. That's that, uh, that's that little bit of Hong Kong influence you were like mentioning, like, yeah, a little uh, bit of John Woo action yeah. going on. Sweetheart. Yeah, you know, Pune's having a lot of fun here. Like he's he's kind of just aping all the cool shit that was sort of happening in the mid to late nineties and, and puts it in his film. And I mean he, he's doing a great job with it. Like he 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 gets all the action shots. Like nothing on this nothing in this looks all that clunky. Like sometimes no. Pune's films can look a, a bit clunky. Nothing here does. Like it all is very kinetic. And um I've, and I feel, you know, in the, the, the sort of comic book uh, aesthetic to it, 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 it feels very fun. And, like, it's, it's not very bloody. Like, there's no squib work, really, or anything in this film. Yeah, it's, very little squibs. Very Yeah. Little. Like, you see blood after the fact kind of thing once in a while. But for the most part, it's, it's very fast-paced comic book shit. Um, and, like, he, he – again, like you mentioned, he uses the prison to – to the best of his ability like he it if you you don't necessarily know where you are in the prison at any given time but the yeah, whole... like except maybe like when they're in the kitchen that's like the only time you can really tell like okay this is a kitchen nothing else is the, the logistics doesn't make a lot of sense 
Yeah, because I I was like I was watching this and I was like, where where are they shooting? Is this is this a school? Is this a prison? Is this like a hospital or something? Like it could have been any of those things. Um, but I think the the big point is that everybody feels like they're trapped, and then that's how Pune kind of uses uh, the location to its best advantage. Like they are all stuck in this prison, and. It feels very claustrophobic too. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. Like there's, there's no big, like the only big open space is the initial room where ice T sets up the rules and shit. Otherwise everyone's like dodging through hallways and stairwells and, uh, you know, uh, cramped locker rooms and, and shit like that. So, I mean, go ahead. I was going to say the, the, I mean, it's it's certainly one of like Pune's more like stylistic, Mm-hmm. creative endeavors and i'm gonna tell you the thing that is working only thing working harder here than ice t and christopher lambert is those blue filters that he's got working <laughs> on in this movie those blue those blue james cameron style filters is working yeah fucking and, overtime and i mean that's a, that's a thing that pune keeps coming back to with his lighting right like he 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 even did it in his a lot of his lower budget stuff early on where he's got that I always kind of likened, like, I, I guess maybe it changed over the years for him, like how he sort of took cues on how to use the color. But mm-hmm. but his lighting always reminded me of like, oh, this Pune must have watched like some Dario Argento or something like that. Because, you know, I, I think back to stuff like Radioactive Dreams, where they're in, in Cyborg, where there are sequences where everything's lit like a Argento film. Where very hard, harsh colors like blues and reds. Yes. Um, like I'm, I'm thinking back in Cyborg. There's the scene where Claude, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme's fighting that dude in the sewer or whatever, and everything's oh, like, oh yeah, when he's doing the splits over him in the mm-hmm. sewer. Yeah. And everything's blue. It's like, and it's like, oh, like he he has he has an eye for uh, putting putting those harsh uh, color moments in really good spots. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't feel like he ever overuses it, like a, like a criticism of modern films that you can make, maybe not so much anymore, but like in the last ten years or so, where you know they'll desaturate colors and then they'll, uh, they'll make everything like very blue in the palette, like or very se- sepia or something like that. Like right, I, I, right. I, I, I feel like you know the uh, the three hundred uh, movies kind of like really started that trend. Um, but, uh, yeah, Pune, Pune uses it, you know, in, in good spots. Like he, he doesn't overdo it. Like, again, he, I think he's actually a really underrated stylist when it, when it comes to film visuals and he knows what he's doing, even if he, you know, can't give you character motivation and dialogue necessarily, he's always going to give you something visually interesting. Yeah. He'll give you something fun to look at all the time. Mm -hmm. But uh, speaking yeah. of fun to look at, that's uh, to jump backwards about two seconds. Uh, but <laughs> but when Deborah Van Valkenburg shows up in this movie mm-hmm. in that war that is very warriors esque mm-hmm. with that entrance, her character gets shown when she gets kidnapped and you know before she gets dragged off to the uh, the prison setting. It's very warriors esque, and although I've I've seen this movie like like I said at least a dozen times or so. It's the first time I really put those two things together, and I'm just like, oh, like, like that makes sense. But she was also, like I said, in a couple other Pune movies. She was in mm-hmm. uh, Road to Hell and a couple others that I can't think of off the top of my head right now. Well, yeah, but, yeah, but you you know, like Pune 
was a big Walter Hill fan, right? Like, oh he, yeah, of course. Yeah, like he he loved the Warriors. Like if you look at um, uh, like he he did the unofficial sequel to Streets of Fire, basically. Um, yeah, yeah, Rodell, yeah, yeah, and like you can see in his films, he takes a lot of cues from Walter Hill. In, especially in his early stuff where like radioactive dreams has some Walter Hillish things in it. Um, but yeah, I don't, yeah, no, you, you know, like if he has uh, Tina Cote in, in uh, or I mean, uh, Deborah Van, Van Valkenburg in uh, his film, he's, he's going to do some callbacks to, oh, yeah. <laughs> to the warriors. Like it, it's, it's just, it's kind of a given. Now I got I got to ask here are your are your favorite characters Crow and Hoss as well because uh, I know they're mine they they, um, they I, mean, I, I love I love all the characters in this but mm-hmm. like I said earlier I I totally would have been down for a prequel with those guys yeah no I I I like them a lot I I was kind of you know I was kind of hoping that some of these people would survive and like get out of the prison like they just like oh I found a way out and they just like disappear from the picture I'd be cool with that like it, definitely Hoss and Crow I kind of wanted to see like vanish from this because it's like there there there's a cool prequel or sequel that you could do with these two um when you when you learn what christopher lambert is i'm like nope yeah he needs to die he's a child killer he he can he can stay dead um a little bit tried to play it off like it was an accident but he still was there to murder people and accidentally you know kill the child you still kill the fucking child you know yeah it's like and it's like it's implied that he's gonna kill uh lucy the, the little girl that he's got with him eventually like because she even she even tells marcus he's a creep will you kill him for me <laughs> yeah i know at the at the end when she's like she doesn't get a whole lot of dialogues mm-hmm. she's just pretty much sitting there with those weird sunglasses on in the car outside the building and just like will you kill that creep for me marcus and it's like mm-hmm. it, it, like and i i thought the part where he asked her she's like you can call me daddy and they're like no no mm-hmm. don't, no don't call no the lambert daddy don't do don't do that that's 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 wrong on a hundred different levels yeah, no, Lambert's a psychopath in this film. Like, it, and at first, you know, you get some shots of him, like, being really cool and smiling and stuff. It's like, okay, Christopher Lambert's our hero in this film. We're going to follow him. But as it unravels, it's like, oh, no, this guy's a psychopath. He's a piece of shit. Like, there, there's no, like, Marcus is much more a guy you can get on board with, even though, you know, he's still got his demons and stuff. But he's he's a more honorable uh, bad guy than Lambert ever could be. Um, he at least has a, a code of ethics and he's not a child mm-hmm. killer. So there's at yeah. least go, those two things going for him. Like the, you could also do just a, a separate like hitman film of Marcus or something like that. Like I'd be on board for that. Um, actually, my favorite character though is uh, Tina Cote as uh, Barbie. She's the uh, hooker character that like actually yeah, hooks yeah. up with Haas and Crow at the end there for a while. Yeah, like I like her character, but I hate the fact that she comes between Haas and Crow and she divides them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really fucking hate that part. Yeah, uh, it, but it, I, it, I like her character. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really ring true that she could make them turn on each other like that because you you get the sense that Haas and Crow are super fucking tight. Like well, if they you finish all... each other's sentences and they have mm-hmm. such a cadence in their dialogue with each other, like they know what each other's thinking. They've been doing this forever. Yeah, and but like the fact that she's so. You know, she's so easily easily divides the two of them that it's just it's it's, it's a little bit ridiculous. But this whole movie is kind of you know a little mm-hmm. bit ridiculous. 
I mean, if if you had all three of them people in another movie together, then maybe you could buy like over the course of a movie, she turns Haas on Crow because, and then and that could work. That that'd be interesting. But um, still, I I really like Barbie. Um, I, I like how you know she's she feels like a throwaway character at the beginning, but she kind of just like survives throughout most of the film by just like avoiding people and like tricking people and getting the better of people and like you know all all the while still like wearing her high heels throughout the entire fucking film <laughs> right yeah never I, breaks one of those heels she has on never never snaps a heel when she's running around up, up and down all these staircases and shit mm-hmm. you know she was really enjoyable i was i was like i was kind of rooting for her to like come out uh, on top of this even though you know she's not a great person either her boyfriend's just another gangster, and you know when she sees him at the end, she she definitely wants to get back with him, but you know he's he's just a piece of shit, and he gets killed. But, he gets um, killed like three times. I'm I'm sure they yeah. killed him that like at least once or twice, but they pump enough bullets into him. But it's just like he, he he's just got a little blood on him, but he just keeps coming back. I mean, you know, I think yeah. it's Bob, you know, uh, what a bastard. Uh, yeah, yeah. Some some people like get shot really early too. And I'm like, what? Okay. This was a person we were introduced to another dead. Oh no, they're not dead. They're back. Like, um, D the, uh, blonde female, uh, assassin or whatever she is. Yeah. Yeah. Like right in the initial conflict, she gets shot. I was like, Oh, is she dead already? Oh no. She's in for the rest of the film basically, but she's got like a shoulder wound. And you know, the, 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 the common, vernacular of the action film it's like if you don't want to kill someone you shoot them in the shoulder and they're all right you know and, and they do that twice in this movie mm-hmm. yeah well i think i, I gotta ask uh well, what your favorite scene was because i i got mine locked and loaded what it is I, i'm not sure if you have one you know hmm. in, in your mind but i'll say mine first to give you a, a okay. chance to think about it is when they're you know Ice-T is at the speech at the beginning when he's giving his who's the best killer in here. We're going to find out whose, you know, skills are, are real or imagined. Mm-hmm. And they dump the two big storage totes full of guns. Oh, yeah. Over the side. And everybody's grabbing guns and just that kind of sped up motion. But they're all empty. And yeah. then they come back with, like, another couple of tubs dumping a bunch of clips, bullets, and then pipes mm-hmm. and baseball bats. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> it's just like, son of a bitch is brutal like the 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 foley work in this the sound work is so mm-hmm. good good i mean it's a little over exaggerated but this whole movie is over exaggerated yeah. and comic bookish but when yeah. they're hitting people with these bats it it, it kind of just sends shivers up and down my spine because it it, it just sounds painful it, it sounds you know intense i'm i i was surprised half of those guns would be in working order after being dropped from that height you know <laughs> like and then especially the ones they dropped like right down the staircase and shit it's like half of those aren't gonna work like yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're gonna be broken they're gonna be fucked up the triggers are gonna be jammed it's something but yeah you know it, it is what it is you know there's, there's mm-hmm. this movie is not really uh set in any kind of uh well, i'm using air quotes here that you can't see but reality yeah, no, it, it's it's a comic book world. It, it very much is, and it's very enclosed. Like, it's all in this prison. You can't escape the prison because if you try to break out before the, the game ends, there's snipers on all the rooftops surrounding the prison. And it, it it's a very good uh, way to use this and, you know, keep everything, like, in a sort of self-contained narrative and self-contained world all in this prison. Like, the outside world might as well not exist, really. Um, 
so you know like again pune is using everything to its full advantage here he doesn't have to build like a, a universe or anything like that he you, you kind of understand everyone's motivations and you understand what's going on and you just go along with it like it's it's very easy to follow yeah yeah it, yeah it's, it's it's not it's not convoluted but except for when you get towards the end when they kind of do some switcheroos when you find out like you find out in more detail with the flashbacks like what was up with mm-hmm. Lou, you know uh, why michael Hals- halsey is there is marcus you know like i like the fact that everybody gets a card with their specific sin right it. like you know with the picture of a camera you took some pictures here you stole mm-hmm. some money but you find out t- at, towards the end that you know marcus's card says you're the only one who lives but then you know mm-hmm. here's spoiler alert he doesn't yeah but i mean oh he he doesn't live because he decides to do the right thing basically um, right and i mean uh vincent moon you got to kind of feel like maybe he got a card somewhere, you know, like from the syndicate from up above. Cause we learn, you know, he's not the head of the syndicate. He's just like a higher up guy that set all yeah. this up. And he's kind of like secretary of state. He's not like yeah. the president, <laughs> but, but it's like, and, and I will answer your question in a second here, but um, I, I got to kind of question, like what kind of fucking syndicate are you running where there's like a hundred people who have like betrayed you? <laughs> and you have to and like and you haven't taken care of them already like usually a crime syndicate if someone betrays you they take care of them right away they don't wait to like collect a hundred of them and then put them all in a prison you know like that, <laughs> right you know if, if i was looking at this critically with any like sense of like oh this is a real film set in the real world i'd be like this is bullshit but it's like uh, okay pune whatever in this world this is the way it happens i'm, I'm all right with it um my favorite scene, honestly, um, when we had the first scene where everyone's like being told the rules and then the guns get dropped and then the bullets get dropped and finally people start loading guns and shooting at each other. I was like, that's a little too frantic for me. I was like, I couldn't follow what's going on. But then you get the second kind of big shootout scene where they're back in that same room. Like they've all come back to that room, the surviving characters. Yeah, when they they form like that unlikely alliance and mm-hmm. they bring everybody back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. And that's when the action is easier to follow, and you've got like a couple separate groups. So you know, you got you've got um, you got Haas and, and Crow with uh, with uh, Barbie, and then you have Barbie's boyfriend coming up the stairs. You've got our sort of four main characters you got lambert you got marcus you got cam um and you got d and they're kind of a loosely connected group that may or may not turn on each other at any given moment (laughs) and And they they do and they but mm -hmm. they do (laughs) yeah and then you have all the surviving random dudes in black coats that have not been killed yet yeah Uh, just guys in black coats with varying degrees of wigs hats sunglasses and bad mustaches i was gonna I was going to mention that it's like, that's one of the little bit of rough edge to this is that like, there's some obvious people in wigs. Like it, it, it kind of feels like we had like 20 people and we got to redress them for certain scenes. Oh, I, I could guarantee that's exactly mm-hmm. what happened. Yeah. So like there, there's a couple people wearing like a hat and like a really badly positioned wig, but it's like they're killed so quickly. It's like, you don't really notice necessarily. But um, I, I would be interested if, if anybody, if any film nerd out there had actually, like, counted how many people were killed. 
that that would be like was it a hundred people or was it like three hundred people? Because it feels like three hundred. It feels like a lot more than a hundred. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 you know, damn it! Now I kind of want to watch it over again and, and count <laughs> just just to do a kill count. Maybe I will one day. Yeah, I wonder if there is a, a YouTube kill count out there somewhere for this one. There might be. I, I um, bet you there probably is. I bet you mm, there is. Somebody but, out there has thought about it before we have. <laughs> yeah. But that, that scene, that one works for me better because uh, we're following our main characters and basically everyone else is coming at them in that room. And so there's there's different stakes to it at that point. And it's like you're not sure if, you know, Christopher Lambert is going to turn on them at any moment, um, which, you know, he, he's definitely looking for his opportunity to. And so you got this unlikely group put together that don't like each other that have to fight off all these other groups coming up the staircases and through the hallways to that central room. And that's where like the action is really easy to follow, but it's still as kinetic and like frantic as in the opening. And, uh, I thought it was just really well done again, like Pune, he can give you like cool visuals and he, he's also really good at directing action. Like it's, it looks really good. Yeah. I think uh, we got to talk a little bit about the dialogue. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not exactly snappy, like you said, uh, you know, like uh, Martin Scorsese kind of dialogue or Tarantino. <laughs> but there's little lines like, for instance, like one of the goons, a nameless goon, I think it might have been Oslo or Otto, comes mm-hmm. up into like, you know, Ice-T, Vincent Moon's oh, yeah. uh, room. And he's like, you know, he's like, yeah, he's like, I would have thrown that knife by now. And the yeah. guy keeps yammering. And he's like, yeah, but I would have thrown the knife by now. And then he's <laughs> like, and then he just nails him he's like i told you throw the knife don't hold the fucking knife uh, like just little things like that or like when uh christopher lambert is like eating a fistful of pills and like what is that valium prozac ritalin breakfast <laughs> of champions it's like <laughs> like ooh, one for the depression one for the anxiety you know <laughs> like mm. yeah you, you get why he's sort of on edge all the time like it, it's very very obvious and yeah and that scene with ice tea and then the guy who comes up to the office it's like it also kind of foreshadows the fact that Ice T ain't good in a fucking shootout, you know. Yeah. Like because the guy comes up and says, "You were never any good. Like you always kind of sucked at this shit, Ice T." You, he, he. So you get the idea that Ice T's like this, you know, higher up in the syndicate who sort of, you know, got there by politics and stuff like that. Maybe he, yeah, he's been he, pushing pencils for too many years, probably. Maybe, yeah, whatever. Like, he hasn't practiced. That's the thing. It's like, he even admits it as he's laying dying on the floor. It's like, oh, I used to be faster than this, you know? And and then, like, Marcus is like, yeah, and you you didn't practice. It's like, yeah, I didn't like, practice. And, I gotta practice. Gotta practice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, there's little, there's little, you know, nuances in this that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily expect from a film like this that, you know, kind of set up and foreshadow things that happen to characters. And, again way more than i expected from this picture i was just like i i know what's this this is gonna be i saw this fucking vhs box on on the shelf in like 98 and i i, I know what it is and then, then i watched it today and it's like i actually did not know what this was this, <laughs> is, this is way better than it ever had kinda, any right to be kind of makes you feel a tad bit guilty for sleeping it on it for so long it does <laughs>
because because uh, because I'm watching this, I'm like, man, this this is again, this is uh, smoking aces. This is fucking lucky number eleven. This is fucking shoot 'em up. Like even closer to shoot 'em up. Like yeah, very, very close to shoot. Like it's like fifty percent shoot 'em up with like I would say fifty percent smoking aces mm-hmm. with like just a you know a dash of Tarantino. Yeah, like that's where the lucky number eleven thing comes in, where it's like, right, right. oh, we got we got some char- every once in a while a character says something really cool, and there's music playing as it's, as it's happening. Uh, you know, we get, there's a there's like some conversation between um, uh, Haas and Crow at one point where they're like talking some sort of pop pop culture thing, I, I believe. And, yeah, I, I love yeah. the banter between them. Their dialogue mm-hmm. is probably the best. I I feel like most of it must have been like. Half half of it must have been ad libbed. I would not ad libbed. I would not be surprised. I I don't feel like Pune's ever been like a guy who clamps down on actors. Like, and honestly, the Pune the story of his career quite 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 a few times he's been like you know director for hire or something on something where he's there, but other people are kind of like making the movie around him. So when mm-hmm. he's doing something like this where he has a lot more control. I don't. I feel like he's still like he's Albert Pune. He's he's a nice fucking dude. He's he's just trying to make a movie and have fun. He's gonna let Christopher yeah. Lambert say whatever the fuck Christopher Lamb Lambert wants to fucking say. You know. Yeah, because you know guys like him and Ice T and uh, you know the Tom Matthews and whatnot are, are mm-hmm. gonna come up with better better stuff than anything that's written on on the page. They're just right. gonna be let him run with it. I, I met Pune once. Uh, God, it was almost. 10 years ago at a, at a convention. I've already discussed mm-hmm. this on air multiple times, so I won't get into the story, but he was such a fun guy. He was just a guy who loved making movies. Yeah. He just loved film and loved movies, and how can he, you know, not like a guy like that? It's always the impression I got. Like like I said, again, he, he just he just felt like, you know, a movie nerd like you and me, like kind of. Yeah. And a I movie mean, nerd that somehow figured out how to, how to make it in the biz. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. You know, more power to the guy. It's just... And then uh, it just makes you feel worse, you know, when you you know how bad his health was in like the last ten to fifteen years or whatever, and and the dementia and shit like that. It's yeah. just like goddamn, shouldn't should not have happened. No, no, it shouldn't have. And it's sad when you see anybody, you know, go down like that. You know, when the, it's like I, I can only hope to you know die in my sleep quickly. You know, not yeah. just deteriorate over years, but you know, it, it happens. It happens to the best of us. Mm-hmm. But. uh uh, anyway, sorry. Right back to the back to the movie. Uh, yeah. I had a note here that I that I didn't want to skip over because I I had a note in all caps. It's like, where did Christopher Lambert get the Halo shotgun, and how many bullets does that fucking thing hold? Because <laughs> <laughs> that one scene when he comes into the kitchen and the camera's circling around him, yeah, he must have fired thirteen or fourteen rounds. I was trying to count because I, I, I couldn't really, you know, I didn't want to stop and rewind it and keep rewinding it. <laughs> but I was like that. You know, of all the things that I can't buy, that was it. Like, I'm I'm a big, big stickler on counting, like, mm-hmm. how many rounds somebody fires out of a weapon. But I, I know those you know, shotguns hold, like, five rounds. Man, come on. It It is interesting that they did, like, they let Lambert have, like, the, uh, you know, infinite ammo cheat. Where, <laughs> yeah, everybody, yeah. where everybody else has to reload. Because, you know, you, you've got fucking Haas and Crow uh, in the final, like, shootout there. Where, you know, and they got uh, Barbie reloading their guns for them, like constantly, like they make a point of it where she's behind them and they're dropping the gun to her. It's like, reload, reload, reload. 
and you know they're constantly re- reloading. So it's like so yeah, while D and you know Marcus and, and uh, Lou they ain't reloading shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I guess you know if you if you're the hero in the story or you know one of the main main characters. You get the infinite ammo cheat, and then everyone else has to reload, I guess. That's yeah. just the way it is. Lou was the only one that realized he was playing in a comic book slash video game. Everybody yeah. else was in reality. They had to reload. He was just like, nope, nope, infinite ammo cheat. <laughs> <laughs> but I love when they uh, when they actually formed the alliance, because, it's, you know, as Marcus, mm-hmm. his, you know, his, uh, and D and uh, Cam, and mm-hmm. Cam is like... Not she's the weakest link, not so much in the way of being a, the, the actor, the character, but she can't right. kill. She's just not yeah. she's not a killer. She's there only because she's got pictures. Yeah. But like when Lambert shows up, he is just like a rude ass bastard, especially to D. And I wonder mm-hmm. if like if, if you even you know, like when he's got the gun to the back of her head and he's like, Oh, I'm gonna kill you. Why? Because you're stupid, you know. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, D is defiant as she is. She thinks, you know, the whole banter back and forth, you know, when they're talking about four is better than three and we can, you know, because it's all about getting three people to, you know, to be in the last three. He's like, Mm -hmm. four is better than three because, you know, one of us is bound to buy it by the by the end. And if not, hey, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But even D thinks four is much better than three when she's got a bolt, you know, a gun to the back of her head. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it leads me to wonder, and I don't know if you had any insight to this, or maybe it was something I missed. Did D and like Lou have some sort of history? Because like these people all knew each other because they all like in quotes you know here worked for the syndicate. Mm-hmm. But it's just like it seemed like they had had some sort of you know history, but like they never expand upon that. Yeah, D, like there's some banter between them where it's like D says to Lou like you've lost a step or something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I assume, you know, they all work for the syndicate. They all know Lou's repu- reputation. Like, like he's, he he killed a kid. And I guess he's also just, like, gone on to be a child killer. I think it's kind of hinted at. Like, he he's kind of, his it's his thing now that he, he'll find a random kid and kill them. You know, maybe abduct them and kill them. Like, well, yeah, maybe... because of the girl he's got, what's her name, Lucy. You know, yeah. he had saved her from somebody that was, mm-hmm. you know, that was like a pedophile or, or, you know, or a killer or something. But you get the idea that like, if they, he had lived through this, he was going to kill her. Yeah. So like, I feel like Lou is persona non grata within the syndicate at this point where everybody knows him and they all look down on him because he's the lowest of the fucking low. Um, and I, and I think Lou's just some, that much of a psychopath where he doesn't get it. Like he, he just, he's, he thinks he's still fine and you know, he's got his reasons for what he does and he's justified them in his own mind. And he doesn't necessarily really know why he's here other than he's, he gets to kill people. So it's fun for him or whatever. Um, and yeah, and D doesn't get a lot character wise. She's just kind of the stone cold blonde bitch killer. Like, she's... yeah, I feel like they couldn't get Sharon stone for this role <laughs> you know, at the, at the time. And they're just like, yeah, We'll get this lady. Yeah. And I mean, she does fine with what material she has, you know, and she looks good and everything. Um, yeah, she but looks yeah. good. She fights well. She does the action really well in the stunts. Yeah, she know, does really most well. of the martial arts stuff in this, right? Yeah. 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 So, yeah, she looks good. And especially considering she's basically been shot in the shoulder, yet she still, like, takes out all these people with with her martial <laughs> arts and stuff. And she's flipping people over her shoulder, the same shoulder she's gotten shot in and, like, mm-hmm. you know 
karate chopping people. And it's like, well, yeah, you know, it's kind of like the obligatory whenever anybody gets into a car wreck in a movie and all they come walk out with is a little, you know, scratch above their eyebrow. Yeah. You know, <laughs> there's no such such thing as whiplash in, in the movie world. <laughs> yeah. There's no such thing as slipping a disc or like yeah. fucking up your back or nothing like that. No, you're just you're just just be fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I got to talk about one of my favorite bits here. We're talking about Austin Crow now. Uh, you're talking about their bank. We've talked about their banter back and forth. I think my favorite part of their banter is when they're outside, mm-hmm. it, you know, they're walking the perimeter and you're know, looking for oh, people yeah. They're like, yeah, we got to call, you know, you know, Vincent up, you know, cause he it says that Vincent does at one point, I see character, there's phones all over this joint, you know, call a guy up and let us, let us know how you're doing out there. How many guys you killed. Mm-hmm. And he's just like the banter of like, how many guys we killed? It was five guys. No, there was six guys. There was staircase guy, <laughs> Bad hair guy, this guy, you know, you know, closet guy, and it's, it's just fun banter in the yeah. way that they repeat each other's lines and their sentences mm-hmm. is is just great. Again, we know we've both already said this a couple of times, but like Hoss and Crow, we we need a Hoss and Crow movie. I think it's, yeah, you know, I mean, it's too late to now to you know twenty you know three twenty you know twenty six years later mm-hmm. to do this, but. We could have we could have had one back in the day. Wish wish upon a star, I guess. Yeah, especially especially with Tom Matthews, Tom Matthews, or he's he he's an old man now. Like he is an old man. But uh, yeah, he's you know, be creeping up on like mid sixties or seventy. Or yeah, something. you know uh, he's he's doing the he's doing the Friday the Thirteenth fan, fan films though. So he's he's got some shit going on. But you know, yeah, yeah. But hey, you know, as long as it pays the pays the bills, fuck it. Do what you got to do, man. Yeah. And I do think, though, they're planned at the end, even though the, the action set piece is probably one of the two best action set pieces at the end, you know, uh, of the movie at all. But the one at the end when they draw everybody back, the scene that you like so much. Mm-hmm. like, But I think the plan to drive all the rest of the killers back there is kind of questionable at best. <laughs> but but it's like, you know, it beats, you know taking that last hour to go around and like trying to find everybody and like, where is this dude hiding? Is he in a stairwell? Is he in a closet? Is he under a bed? I mean, it's questionable, but I don't know that I could have came up with a better plan. Yeah. Although, you know, I I guess, I guess the impetus is you, you can't really hide. You got to kind of like, you got six hours to kill everybody else. You got to like push to find them and you got to be, you got to be really uh, aggressive in in what you do. Even if you're like trying to avoid people, you still got to like, seek people out and shoot them because if you hide basically it's it's kind of hinted that the syndicate's going to flood this place with killers and they're going to wipe out anyone who's not left like you know or anyone that's left um yeah although I, although I, I got a question though it's like how are they going to clean this up before the prison opens it's supposed to open the next that, day or something like that? that's exactly what i was going to touch base on uh, that's exactly what i was going to say there was something that we had glossed over until now they're supposed to dedicate this place in the morning and the gates open up, you know, at one Mm -hmm. point right at the very end, right before the final showdown, it's like, they're supposed to show up and dedicate this place in the morning. Like if if the people know what's going on, that's one thing, but the people that are going to show up to do the dedication are going to have one hell of a mess to find that they're going to find to have to clean up. I'm like, who's going to clean all that shit up? There's a hundred bodies laying all over the place. It's not even the bodies. It's all the fucking, bullet holes and shit throughout the walls i mean there's got to be some shot out windows i don't re- necessarily recall seeing any windows get shot out but 
you got to think in the reality of the situation, there had to have been some and like all the spent fucking shell casings and everything <laughs> like, like that's, that's the substitute actually in this movie for the squib work, right? Like we didn't have squibs, but we can show shells falling everywhere. Cause everywhere you look, there's just shell casings everywhere you know, whenever they sh- have a shootout. So it's like, there's no way like you could have had fucking, uh, the fucking wolf from Pulp Fiction with like the best cleanup team in the world. And they're not getting this done in the time it would take, you know, b- before the, the grand opening and the next day. <laughs> no. no, you would have to be spending days to clean this place. Yeah. <laughs> At least, but again, you know, we're not in reality. We're in movie mm-hmm. logic here. So, you know, it's, it's got to suspend your disbelief to a certain extent, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, that ending is just more and more endless carnage of gunfire. I love it when uh, Haas and Crow kind of prematurely celebrate and they're like, yeah, we're it. We're the only ones left. And <laughs> Vincent is just over the intercom. It's like, nah, there's still more of you. You got to go for it. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of think like the one the one part that kind of left me uh, a little disappointed is when Lou kills D because he, mm-hmm. he comes down from the ceiling and puts that garret around her neck and then it you know it, it cuts away I, I if they were as much as they bickered and fought fought i wanted to see a good fight between the two of them that's one thing that left me longing for a little bit right given the running time you think they could have given them like three or four minutes to do a fight scene that would have been good. yeah even if it was been a flat 60 seconds i'd have been happy not just drop from the ceiling and oh cut away like oh oh, oh. Mm-hmm. but then again you know lambert was only there for two days which still boggles my mind that they were able to get the footage they got with him in two fucking days i've been on multiple film sets and i've shot multiple films mm-hmm. I, I i mean of course on much lower budget and a, you know much uh you know micro more of a micro budget kind of thing but my god i can't imagine trying to get that much footage in two days a lot of just just thinking about the amount of setups they must have done just to get all of his screen time in two days uh Man, they must have worked quick, really quick, and and just like I, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't think too many retakes or anything like that. Like they just snap it up, next thing, next thing. So, again, a, a, a testament to Pune. He he got everything he needed because he makes Lambert look like he's in this entire film, like throughout the entire shoot, basically. Yeah, and and you know, no one like you said before, uh, no wonder Lambert looks like he's having such a great time because gets to play, you know, a, a fun character. I mean, I mean, a, mm-hmm. a, he's playing a bastard, but he's having fun, and you can tell. And not yeah. just the character of Lou, but Lambert himself is just like, hey, I'm making a million dollars here for two days worth of work. You know, who wouldn't yeah. have a good time? This is the antithesis of like Steven Seagal in his later films where he he sits at a desk because he's too fat and immobile for five minutes. And that's his screen time in the film, you know, like in the film happens around him, basically. Yeah, that's like the last, what, 30 films he's made pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, you're going to have me do a fight scene. I'm going to do it, but I'm going to be sitting down the entire time. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm, I'm going to stand here and he's going to throw a punch and then you're just going to cut to him on the floor. <laughs> I'm not doing that. You know, that's about as good, good of a, uh impression as, like, the people who do the overdubbing for all the fucking... <laughs> 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 and I mean that with the most respect uh, on your yeah, end. Yeah. I'm not, like, yeah, like, because, you know, like, that's another thing. We'll talk about Seagal for a hot second here. He doesn't even do his own ADR work. 
No. At least like 90% of the time. I, I saw a movie with him that I watched for another friend's show called The China Salesman mm-hmm. with him and Mike Tyson. And there is some of the most horrendous over-fucking-dubbing in that movie, man. Mike, I don't know who's, who's worse, the guy who overdubs Seagal or the guy who overdubs uh, Mike Tyson. Wow. That's <laughs> really bad. I, I, I am so fucking happy that uh, Judo Jean LaBelle, you know, choked him out and made him shit his pants. Yeah, I know, I know that story. Mm. That's the, one of the best stories that come out of Hollywood and yeah. forever. Uh, all I got to do is just like li- listen to that story or listen to John Leguizamo t- talk about like his yeah. talk about executive decision. Like, I really want to tell him that he runs like a girl, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh gosh! But anyway, anyway, back to this. Back to the movie. I mean, as it comes down in the end, uh, it's the sad, the sad part of this movie. And for a movie that involves child killing in it, mm-hmm. it's still the sad part. Of the saddest part of this movie, at least to me, is when Barbie ultimately does come between Hoss and Crow. Yeah, you know, because you know, uh, Crow doesn't want her to have a gun, although she's already got like a little derringer, it you know, hidden in her dress. Right, and like, you know, and at the end, they're going to shoot each other. They even use a reference, you know, we're going to do it okay corral style here. When Hoss tells him, he's like, you know, go for your guns, Hoss. Mm-hmm. And she comes up with a gun, is going to shoot Hoss in the back of the head. Crow raises his gun to try to, you know, to to save him, and they both end up shooting each other. Boom. You know, Crow is dead. Hoss is laying there, and he she kicks the gun out of his hand, and she, he's just like, "You're gonna shoot me dead as Dickens, aren't you?" And she's just mm-hmm. like, "Yep, yep." I mean, I love her her character. I, I hate what she does. Yeah, but I love the character because she is she's a you know wolf in sheep's clothing the entire time, man. She gets a weird demise though. Like you know, she she picks up the wrong suitcase, the one that's <laughs> lo- loaded with a bomb, and it catches her hair on fire, and it's kind of funny there for a second, and that's one note that rings a little untrue too is like her head goes through one of the lockers and it's like there's no way that happens like that right yeah, yeah. she like slams her head into the locker and so she just heads head buds her way right through it mm-hmm. like said so it is the the head on fire gag and her head butting through the locker is kind of goofy yeah it doesn't really matter yeah it doesn't really match with it it's it's one part that kind of just leaves me going wah wah <laughs> But uh, as we get kind of towards the ending here, it turns into a Western. Mm-hmm. You know, we got Mambo music the entire time. And then when we get to the, the final, you know, the, uh, you know, the final shootout at the OK Corral, so to speak, you know, is, is Marcus, Lou, and Cam is there. And then mm-hmm. uh, you know, Vincent shows up and he's like, hey, I'm involved in this now, too. He's got them. They got the money there. And he hands everybody, a, you know, a gun and they're standing there and it's very, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly kind of ending. Yeah, he, he hands and, them all desert eagles. Yeah, but you would have thought Lou would have realized that the gun that the, he, that Vincent tossed him would have been empty. Yeah, because Marcus realizes right away, it's like, oh, there, there's bullets in my one, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, but, you know, that it's... Yeah, it's a little goofy, but you know, hey, he's he's he shot about 150 rounds off. Maybe his hand was so numb that he couldn't tell. I, guess, I don't know. I guess I'm, maybe I'm I'm overthinking it. I'm overthinking it probably just a little bit. Maybe his maybe his hands were were too uh, preoccupied with the thought of child strangulation later on, and he, <sighs> you know, yeah, it, it's just yeah, it, it, it's really weird that 
you know, they kind of play it off as Christopher Lambert is like the hero, you know, on the cover and mm-hmm. in the description that he's the, the main guy, but he's not. It's really Marcus, but they had their their money in I mean, in yeah. Lambert, you know, that's who they got it. You know, it's like having Arnold Schwarzenegger in your movie. I mean, you know, if, if, if you're going to have him in there, even if he's not the main character, you're putting him on the poster. Yeah. I mean, Mar- Marcus ain't selling any fucking movies. Like, you know, yeah. Mike, Michael Hosley, as great as he is in this, he ain't selling any movies. Because, like, he does look like, he does look like how Mick Jagger looks now. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, he's he's this, he's this uh, English guy who's got a kind of a, long sullen cheekless face and uh he, you know he looks like fucking ian mckellen face fuck mick jagger <laughs> <laughs> that's what he looks like to me i know the very young couth way of putting it but that's yeah. the only thing i got <laughs> but you know yeah you know i ain't the best looking guy either and i'm definitely not an actor who started oh. movies, so you know good on you michael osley <laughs> yeah yeah but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't mean any uh, kind of disrespect to my, Michael Halsley because he, he passed away here uh, several years ago as well. Oh, did he? Yeah. I think he passed away in 2007. Oh, I'd have to, you know, I'll look it up as we're, as we're talking. But, uh, like, I know he passed away. He was 71 or 72. Oh, that's I not read. bad. You know, so, I mean, it's a decent run. It's a decent yeah. run. But uh, let me look it up here real quick. Oh, nope. It wasn't 2007. It was 2017. So oh, it was just several years back. That's uh, all right. Well, rest yeah, in still peace. Good, good run, you know. 72 is a good run for yeah. everybody. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're pretty much at the end of the movie. You know, I mean, everybody ends up getting shot in the... In the, you know, the, sh- the showdown. I mean, like, mm-hmm. you think Lou's dead, but he's just wounded. And Michael Huttlesley, you know... Marcus comes up to him and they have like a thing where they're just gonna, you know, do each other off. Cause he, yeah, Lou is like, give me a loaded gun. He's like, I'll do you in. He's like, because we know suicide's a sin. It's like, here's a guy who's killed children yeah. <laughs> and, and and hundreds of other people, but he's worried about suicide. I'm like, I think you're c- c- kind of putting all your eggs in one basket, dude. I'm well, well, right. he's, he's, he's trying to deceive Marcus basically is what he's doing. Like he, he honestly don't care about that shit. He's, he just, he thinks he's getting one over on Marcus because he doesn't quite know that Marcus hasn't killed the little girl. He doesn't know that Marcus is, you know, actually just set her up with the money to like actually have a life and shit like that. And has like uh, decided she's only going to he's only going to wound Cam and and let her get away. So, yeah, because previous to this, he shot Cam. Mm-hmm. And, but you think, you know, from the way they shot it and she's the way she spins around and hits the ground, you think he got her full blank in the chest. Right. Turns out it was, again, much like D, just got a wound in the shoulder. But mm-hmm. uh, she's the only one left. She goes out. She's got the money. And, um, you know, she's uh, Lucy's her and Lucy are in the car. And Lucy even says to her, are you my new mommy now? She's like, mm-hmm. ah, I guess I am, kid. I'm like, I don't know how that's going to work out when you got to you know, put her in school. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll introduce you to my husband, Swan. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, but yeah, this this movie is really fun. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know about how much uh, else we can talk about, but uh, you know, except for the final lines of of, uh, <laughs> of Ice T as he's laying there dead, realizing that he was slow. Yeah. He's like I used to be a lot faster than that. And he's like, gotta practice, gotta practice. <laughs> But uh, yeah, we can sum up our feelings here in a bit. Um, I know you've been on the show before, and so you know how we do things around here. Guests usually go first, and with final thoughts, 
and a uh, rating on a scale from one to 10, 10 being the best, one being the worst. So go ahead, Lee, and have at it. Uh, yeah, if, if you're looking, you know, if, if you're a fan of Pune's lower budget stuff and you want to see what he could do with an actual, you know, decent budget that he could work around and he's got like great production value here and he and he's kind of like capturing a little bit of a thing that really didn't take off until the 2000s you know the post post tarantino really or post post guy Ritchie really where you know they're not necessarily imitating they're just kind of taking little bits and pieces from guy Ritchie and tarantino and and making their own thing and again i'll point out like shoot them up Lucky number seven, Aces, uh, Smoking Aces films. If you like that stuff, this is kind of the low budget version of those. And but it, at the same time, I think Pune's a more interesting stylist uh, who definitely has a vision that he he goes for. And is it perfect? No, it's not a perfect film, but it's got a bunch of fun performances that have fun with the material they're given. Uh, the action scenes are all really good. Uh, again, production values are awesome. The prison looks good. It's a good spot to set this all in. Keep, keeps everything contained, everything claustrophobic. Uh, just adds to uh, the way the story goes. Um, and, you know, outside of... Uh, that's the wrong word. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say, like, basically, as far as Pune stuff goes, this has got to be one of his best movies. Like, I, oh, I agree. Uh, I'd put it in his top five. It it's it's really well done. Um, apparently, the one he did before this uh, in the same place, Blast, which is kind of a diehard ripoff, isn't r- remotely as good as this. Um, so, I mean, he he fucking knocks it right out of the fucking park with this one. I think uh, it, it really shows what he could do when he when he had a budget, um, and it's it's well worth checking out. It, it's not just the Typical direct-to-video action shit from the late 90s that usually wasn't all that good. This one has some interesting stuff going on in it. Some fun characters. Again, characters we wish could have spinned off into other movies. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with this. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised with it. It just, like, totally blew all my expectations out of the water. And I would give a nice solid 7 to it out of 10, I think. That's pretty good. I'm coming in a little bit higher than you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm coming in at an even eight. Right you on. know, um, you know, which is still I feel pretty solid. You know, it's barely solid. Uh, you know, as it's compared to some of his later work and even some of his earlier work at the stuff in the eighties. Uh, you know, mm. that I love like Sword and the Sorcerer and stuff. This is right up there, and I agree with you. Uh, it's it's a top five film for me. I'd have to really think about like my my favorite Pune movies and where they rate. I know Nemesis is my number one favorite. I know that without a doubt. Okay. But uh, this has probably got to be at least no- number three, number four. It's definitely top five. But it's got a great cast. I mean, uh, Yuki Atomoto, uh mm-hmm. Tom Matthews, you know, Ice-T, Christopher Lambert, they all do really good. They have fun with it. Everybody in this movie, except maybe D is like the and uh, Marcus, those two characters are like the only two that don't seem like they're having fun, just because <laughs> they're so they're so fucking serious. Yeah, you know. But uh, they're they're having a great time with it, and you know, as we've already said, you know, it likens back to the guy Richie kind of stuff, the smoking aces stuff uh, in the post, you know, quotes here, you know, Tarantino world. 
it just you know it never really feels like it's ripping off anything but mm-hmm. it's just like borrowing certain little elements and running with it you know the banter is so much fun i think if there's really any kind of uh negative about the movie it is a bit long yeah yeah you know it's a it's a bit long it could have been shaved by about 10 minutes you know if if we would have maybe kept the length that uh, where it was at and just gave us 10 more minutes of hoss and crow i would have that'd been yeah. all for that you I'd, know? I'd, be on, I'd be on board for that but yeah it's it's a fun movie the action keep you know even though it's long you know it does feel a bit long it i was never looking at my you know my my watch or my 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 clock going okay how much fucking much more is mm-hmm. this movie is there because it's so fucking fast yeah it's just there's a lot of it to have to absorb and it felt like a, a part of a you know a bigger franchise or a bigger world that could have like been shown right you know because you definitely could have had a prequel or a sequel to this because mm-hmm. you know there's because of with the you know the idea behind a syndicate that can just readily kill off a hundred people that yeah. work for it how many people did they got working for them yeah, you know, like but, uh, it, it feels like they wiped out their entire fucking working force, really. <laughs> like, are they all going into the oil oil business? Or are they, you know, yeah. buying into big tobacco or something? Or is they just <laughs> they're going more legit crimes or <laughs> white collar crimes? I'm like, yeah. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a fun movie and it's definitely top tier pune and I I love it and I, I love the fact that this was a first time watch for you and that you enjoyed it so much. Yeah. But uh, that being said, we'll probably put a pin in this one for the evening. Um, this show will drop sometime next week, or maybe the week after at the very latest. So, um, you, if you want to plug anything you got coming up, anything you got in the, you know, loaded in the chamber, wink, wink, that uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, hopefully loaded, that uh, yeah. you got uh, coming up that you want to plug before we get out of here. Uh, weird part weird point in my podcast right now i actually don't have anything necessarily <laughs> planned uh kind of seeing what's going to happen this month um where we were thinking of uh doing uh a raquel welch tribute that might happen this month at some point um probably later in the month and there's i was talking to my og co-host daniel and uh apparently we're going to try to get together and do uh, natural born killers as a Tom Sizemore tribute who just passed away the other day. Uh, oh, great movie. Great. Movie. Yeah. So not quite sure when those are going to happen. I'm just going to assume later in March, uh, they should show up. So, uh, probably, probably contemporary with when this is released. I'm, I'm kind of thinking, uh, so tmbdos.podbean.com. Just, just check that out. And, um, if they're there, they're there. If not, there's, uh, 280 other fucking episodes of stuff and other assorted episodes inside podcast stuff that's uh, there to check out. So, right on, right on. And then we got our uh, well, tomorrow, the day after we're recording this on Wednesday, we'll have a new episode of Last Call of Torchies coming out. So, right. it'll be a week or two old by the time this one comes out. But check mm-hmm. out our Last Call at Torchies podcast that we do with the incomparable uh, Gary Hill. Who does yep. cinema beef? Two drink minimum commentaries, which we you know we all kind of co-host and uh, do guest spots on and everything. So yeah, be looking forward to that and and the next uh, last call of torchies. Yeah, because we're, we're we're recording again this week, aren't we? For for that Thursday, I, th- I believe. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's what he said Thursday. I'll have to yeah. check the group chat. I've 
I, I got my calendar written down in the other room, so yeah, I, 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 I that to be positive. I think we are. I think we agreed upon it when we were actually talking during the recording. We didn't actually write it down in the group chat. So yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, it's just too many shows. Too many shows. Yeah. To try to keep track of. I, I keep handwritten notes on everything just to keep my shit straight. I gotta. I gotta keep. I gotta start doing that because I've got like another podcast on Wednesday, and I, I, I gave myself too much work this week. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Same here. Same here. I, I'm doing a show every day this week, but Wednesday. Jesus. So uh, leading up to Friday, but then the uh, uh, Saturday we're going to Indianapolis to meet uh, Carrie Elways, who was hosting oh. a Q and A at a uh, screening of um, Princess Bride on Saturday. Oh, sweet! So yeah, that'll be that'll be awesome. That'll be awesome. But that being said, we'll stick a pin in this one for the evening. I want to thank you, Lee, for you know coming on the show for his first uh, solo show. So I appreciate you taking a couple hours out of your time to do this, man. Oh, no, it was an absolute pleasure, dude. Always enjoy talking with you, so thanks oh. for having me. Oh, well, thanks for doing it. I appreciate you. But, folks uh, at home, you have been tuning in to Cinema Degenerations, Albert Pugh and Appreciation Month, when we've been dis- we have been dissecting and reviewing Mean Guns from 1997. As always, thank you for 